Hey guys, and welcome to Anchor Down, the podcast with me, Andy Burgess, where I talk to creatives about their origin stories and how they got to where they are in their career right now in the hopes to inspire the next generation of creators to pick up a camera, an instrument, a pen, whatever it is that is your tool that helps you be creative and just get out there and start producing something that you love and turning that passion into a career. Today we have a little bit of a different episode. I am talking with two guests from different points of the earth and we'll get into that in a second but on today's podcast i have ollie martin and jack rubenstein who are longtime friends and collaborators jack and ollie started their creative journey as adventure driven filmmakers back in 2011 when they took part in the mongol rally driving 10,000 miles from the uk to mongolia in their skoda fabia with a yak shaped roof box and on that journey they made an hour-long documentary on their trip through 20 different countries crossing through Europe, through Iraq and Iran, all the way to Mongolia. And from this self-made indie documentary, Jack and Ollie have gone on to produce and work for companies like the BBC. And the reason I want to hone in on their documentary, The Return of the Yak, because it's a great example of just doing it yourself and what you can achieve and setting yourself up for a great career. So, I don't want to take up any more of your time. This was a really fascinating conversation that I had with Ollie and Jack about their documentary, Return of the Yak. Yeah, this is the furthest apart podcast I've done. I'm recording in London. Ollie, you are in the mountains of Austria. And Jack, you are in Sydney, Australia. That is right. An international contingent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love that we can just do this so easily as well yeah the beauty of the internet what time is it with you jack it is 8 45 in the evening so yeah that when i was having a beer earlier it was uh, it's a socially acceptable time down here there, there you go andy so so jack is a little more lubricated than i but uh, maybe I've, I've got more of the day ahead of me as you do so we'll see. that's true well i'm glad that you guys could all be here to do this yeah i'm really excited to talk with you guys today about the mongol rally and what you guys do as filmmakers first, i guess first of all let do you both want to take it in terms to introduce yourselves and what you do and how you boys started working together originally we started filmmaking together during the mongol rally we went in 2011 you know almost a decade since uh we have both worked uh for the bbc and they're in their youtube bbc earth department jack and i have known each other for a long time so we we both grew up in brighton uh, which is south coast of the UK, very vibrant, a lot of students, a lot of, lot of music, a lot of culture. So I think we, um, we always had an interest in being creative. And I suppose we, we spent a lot of time talking about documentaries and watching a lot of documentaries, a lot of kind of Michael Palin travel stuff. Um, and just basically we're interested in, in stories and characters from around the world. So I, th- I suppose our friendship just started off the back of, of that and kind of just mooching around Brighton and all the friends we had back in the day. Um, we, we did a lot of, I think also traveling was, was one of our, our shared passions and we've done some hitchhiking together. We've done other big road trips. So I suppose we're, we're, we're kind of, me and Jack are kindred spirits, us and our, our group of friends. So we, we also, we both, we both studied together at a, at a city called Bristol in the UK. Yes. Another fantastic place, man. Your brother's down there, right? That's your hometown, Yeah, man, it's... Oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. I know, I was going to say, when I started watching the doc, I saw uh, the opening shot of you guys was at the suspension bridge. And it was, man, yeah. Yes, great we, uh, we, we, we basically, we, we, we studied in, uh, in, in Bristol, 
getting involved in everything that Bristol had to offer. It's it's a, it's a very diverse place, big music scene. Yeah. And as Jack said, as uh, whilst we were on the course, I found out about the the Mongol Rally. So this epic, epic road trip, ten thousand miles driving from England to to Mongolia unaided. And this is the kind of thing that um, that we we fuck, we absolutely love. So we hadn't actually really thought about um, filmmaking really up until then. We dabbled. We done. We were interested in manipulation of time. So we'd done some time lapses and we played around. And we had friends that were interested, but we we were mostly kind of in it together as a, as a crew to to do um, travel and to experience culture and and to find things out. So I think. This documentary for us is really uh, the, our first foray into DIY filmmaking, and it's hopefully got a bit of character. It's um, it's certainly a Frankenstein's monster, and we learned along the way, and we learned uh, a lot of we learned from a lot of mistakes. But it's um, it's us, and although it's kind of nearly ten years ago, it um, it still sticks in our minds, and it's something that we like to talk about and hopefully share with people. So that's yeah, we, that's why we wanted to talk to you, Andy. Mm, yeah, and so I watched this doc last night, and w- w- I'm sure we'll go into it completely, and we'll I'll pull a link in the show notes as well. So if some people want to go check it out first or afterwards, it's there. Um, but on on the top, I like even though you say yeah, it was like nine years ago. I it still seems so well. It's still so relevant. But like the type of filmmaking is definitely what's exploded on YouTube in the last five years or so. Um, like this is 2011. I'm not sure what cameras you guys are using, but you're like just documenting vlog style, like the whole thing, and it's very DIY. Um, I, I love all the little, um, like the stop motion stuff that you did. I just, I, I was just like rewatching mm. that and I was just like, how are they doing this? Or like, it just like, it was just <laughs> it was so fun. So you guys started out deciding to, okay, we want to go on this trip. We love storytelling and different cultures and meeting people. And we just want to kind of like film this. So that was your first, um, step into film. And yeah, it, it's a pretty big project. So how did you guys, what was the first conversation about how we're going to do this? Like, was there much prep or was it very much just like run and gun? Let's see what happens on the way. It was pretty accidental, to be honest with you. So like we said, we had dabbled in a bit of filmmaking before this, but part of the event of the Mongol Rally is that you've got to raise money for charity. And to do that, you know, we wanted to, make some sort of message that would, you know, get the word out, get people interested, get people kind of inspired by it. So the first film we made on this whole kind of Mongo Rally project was a parody video of Mark Morrison's uh, Return of the Mac, renamed Return of the Yak. (laughs) And it was, you know, it... (laughs) It was so much fun to film. We just got all of our mates in Bristol, had like a house party, kind of dancing around, filming like a music video from that, changed all the lyrics to be about taking a yak to Mongolia. And I mean, hey, look, it it didn't explode. It got a couple of thousand views, but back then it was our first video and we were like, hey, you know, people are kind of talking about this. Like all of our mates at uni, even people we didn't know that well, were just like, oh, you guys made that parody video. And so that was the kind of first time we realised, like, how you can kind of reach people through video, through YouTube. And I think from there, that's when the kind of the conversation started. Hey, let's document this. Yeah, completely. I think even from from my personal perspective, as I say, I was I was interested. I loved watching film and I loved um, 
I love that kind of thing. But I never really thought of myself as, as wanting to make films. And it was only through the process of working with Jack and the other guys on making that kind of that throw together parody video that I really got a sense of, oh, this this is how you can you can potentially put together a loose story and, and use imagery to to convey emotion. Now, these, these are all very, very top line things. And I'm not sure we got all these points in this video, but you know what I mean? It was like that was that was the seed that was planted. And, and from there, we were like, you, interesting point, Andy, about how um, the documentary um, has a lot of kind of different flavours to it, I think maybe is a good way of putting it. So it's, it's kind of like a recipe that we concocted ourselves. And we we really wanted it to be an authored um, take on the Mongol rally. And that's so it's not just a documentation of the event itself. It, it was our personal journey. And so that, that led itself to the, the somewhat gonzo approach in which we filmed it mm, yeah but yeah that that music video was the kind of that was the genesis that was the start for us. part of that approach as well i mean we did we don't we, we prepped quite a bit we watched a lot of kind of we watched kind of michael palin we watched uh the ewan, Mac, ewan mcgregor travelogue most travelogues back then you know were kind of big production tv series and there's only so much of that we can kind of replicate so in terms of how you know they kind of built the story that was you know really kind of useful uh benchmark for us but you know the, that kind of vlogging diy style i mean that was the only way we could film it uh we had a couple of dslrs and you know there were times when we would you know one of us would get out the car and we'd like walk up a hill and we'd let the other guys drive off like a kilometer and then they'd have to come back and pick us up and then you know it would already like 20 minutes behind what we'd normally do so we'd maybe get one of those a day um but most of the time you know it's just us on the trip with cameras filming it talking about what's happening and you know we didn't even realize that was a way that you could make a film if that's just the only way we could have done it and so yeah it's it's fortunate now that's a it's such a kind of trend it's really nice that there's all the just kind of the handheld, very in the moment bits. And there's, is it called the gates of hell? The bit you're there and like, or, and, oh, and all the, yeah. And the yeah. asteroid stuff and you can tell, and then you have shots that are like on DSLRs that it looks like you've spent a while setting those shots up to get them. Um, and there, there's a bit where you guys are like riding on the yak. Uh, like, uh, I guess we should quickly say you had a massive yak on the top of your car that you drove from the UK to Mongolia on. <laughs> and there was a shot where um, I think it was maybe a GoPro on like a big rod. And I was looking at it and I was like, how did they get this shot in 2011? Because um, now it's like, okay, maybe it'd be like a 360 camera on a big selfie stick. And I'm just thinking back to like 2011 when that, that time I was kind of in a band and we were, we were doing like little like tour videos and we had this like little flip out camera. So it took me back to those times and I was yeah. like, okay, this is like, yeah, it's really interesting how like um, filmmaking's evolved and that style is now, I guess, more relevant than ever. Yeah, completely. I think um, we 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 came into this by well, making this documentary at an interesting time, and it was it was kind of the early days of YouTube. There was a lot of people, and it was kind of a democratization of video making. So platforms are opening up where you could serve video for free and, and get potentially reach global audiences. And so um, we we kind of lent into that, I'd say. And, and as Jack said, we mm. we didn't have we didn't have much experience, but we had the hunger for it. I think is an interesting way of looking at it. And so we just used the kit around us. And when so there was four of us that overall did this this big road trip. Four of us that did the the preparation. And it's important to note that um, that one of our friends is is like a is a top level kind of mechanic. So he his his involvement in this in this whole 
escapade was to look after the car, but also to help us with creative solutions that wouldn't cost much or filming interesting angles. And so you, you mentioned uh, we had uh, effectively a top shot looking uh, back across the yak roof box and then forward to the oncoming road. And so we welded um, ah. a, a, basically a, a scaffolding pole on the back of our car that could be removed and that had a, that had a mount for the DSLR. So we also, we also did in-car time lapses. So we're, we're big fans, as I say, of manipulation of time, or I am anyway, when it comes to imagery and what you can observe with a camera that you can't observe with a natural eye. So that lends itself to the likes of hyperlapses, time lapses. We didn't have the opportunity for slow-mo like you can nowadays with a standard phone, but we, we, we wanted to build that type of visual element into what we hope is a, a broad story which anyone can relate to even if they don't know us. I think that's an important point that we'll get onto maybe later on. Yeah, no, for sure. Before we get into like the actual trip and how it went down, did you guys... How did how did you fund this? Is it was it the case of you doing yourself, or is it just you? You mentioned that you had to like there was um, you were raising money for charity and stuff, but did you have to? Did you reach out to anybody and say, "Hey, we're going to make this documentary. Are you interested in?" Yeah, being involved? I think I think another another point, and I think this is why it's good to talk to you, Andy, because we 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 follow all your stuff. We we love your videos, and you come from a a predator, do it yourself, uh, make it work. Uh, fashion story, authenticity point of view. And so I think we, we approached everything uh, like that. Most of it was funded by ourselves. I mean, first and foremost, you know, we did this to travel as a trip. And, you know, the, we did go to uh, various companies for sponsorship. We got, a, we, you know, we got little bits and pieces. We got a bit of camera gear from uh, Clock Tower Cameras in Brighton, still repping them 10 years down the line. So you know, little stuff like we got some chili sauces from a chili sauce company. Um, looking back, and, you know, again, we were quite novice at the, at the time, and we were talking to Cotswolds, and actually they were kind of interested. They were like, ah, oh, well, we've seen your videos, and, like, it's cool what you're doing, but, you know, you're just swearing all the time in your videos. It's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't really go down when you're trying to trying to gain sponsors. So, we you know, we were, <laughs> we were being ourselves, and... Uh, we got it. We got a few bits of sponsorship here and there, but you know, yeah, it was majority funded by ourselves. I think. I think we also, me and Jack and, and our friends, have pretty much spent the majority of our lives up until this point um, working part time jobs um, to save money to do trips. So it's, it was already. I think it was already in me uh, that was like a kind of a process that I really enjoyed. Um, and that fulfilled me when it came to the work, if it, even if it wasn't work that I liked. So the, I would say predominantly the trip was self-funded. It was straight after uni, so we, we did some work and, and then we paid for it. Um, as Jack said, we, um, we did look for sponsors. As you know, Andy, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky game. And so we knew that it was important that we, we presented a brand of sorts. Um, it's very much our own character, this brand. It is represented by the yak on top of our car. But um, we knew we needed to form a brand and that would, that would come across in the videos and, and online. Um, but yeah, we, we got some help, as Jack said, we got some help from um, some independent shops. So we got a bit of camera gear here and there. We got some some car gear from Wix. And as Jack said, we also um, we got sponsored by a Bristolian chili sauce company, which um, I find hilarious. And we've got we, we don't have we don't have footage, but we have got some anecdotes of how incrementally hotter chili sauces in a very much hot wings style. Um, basically destroyed people across our route, culminating in a Mongolian truck driver in the Gobi Desert having to lie down for six hours <laughs> because the chili sauce blew his mind. So it's um, I would say the sponsors were were a, 
a pleasant thing to have and respect to the people that gave us stuff, but it was pretty much all self-funded. Yeah, okay. Was the chili sauce um, by any chance from the place that's in St. Nick's Market? Yeah, yeah. man, yeah, it, it was. was. It was, it, it was, okay. uh, was Dr. Something's Chili Emporium, yeah. or something along those lines. I know it. Love those guys. It's still there, man, because I went back like a year ago and they're still there. One of my early days of going into the city and walking around St. Nick's is my friend trying that chili sauce and then having to run <laughs> next door to the cafe and like they instantly gave him a cup of milk. I was like, yeah. Where is the lassie? Clearly, the lassie? This is clearly not the first time someone's <laughs> ran there for that. <laughs> it's, there's, there's, it's a symbiotic shop business. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just in case people don't know where in the world Mongolia is or how long this sort of trip is, do you guys want to quickly break down, I guess, like a basic route, how far it is, put it into perspective for people about how tough this trip is in, a, in like a, you guys had like a bit pretty beat up car by the end of it. Well, yeah, we didn't have a great car to begin with, to be honest with you. I mean, no, di- no disrespect to a 2002 Skoda Fabia, but um, I, yes. I suppose the part of the, the Mongol Rally, which is an, is an organised, unorganised event. Um, so this comp- Brist- Bristolian company, in fact, the adventurists run it um, every year. Oh, okay. But all they really run is they have a start date. Uh, they often have like a sort of second start just in Europe with a, with a party. And then they have the, uh, uh, the, the end in Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. In between, you are completely on your own, you're like, you know, working on your own back. There are about two, three hundred other teams doing the same uh, journey, not necessarily the same route. Some people go north through Russia. Some people go south uh, through Turkey and Iran. Um, but there's other people doing the rally as you go. So you meet a lot of like, like-minded people on the way. Um, so... The distance from uh, London to Mongolia, Mongolia, for perspective, is nestled uh, north of China, south of Russia. It's in kind of East Central Asia, uh, very far from anywhere, to be honest with you. Um, and it's 10,000 10, miles uh, from the UK to Mongolia. Um, but that's 10,000 miles of potholed roads of you know completely unpaved dirt roads and pretty much just earth <laughs> it's, and yeah we, we took this kind of um one uh, part of the rules is that you drive a 1.2 liter or less car um that's worth basically nothing you know the kind of uh, you know the car that your grand drives pretty much and <laughs> try and take it to mongolia and it's you know, it's a surefire recipe for adventure, at the very least. <laughs> wow. And um, how many cr- countries did you guys cross through? I'm going to say around about 20. Do you, do you, should, we, should we try and list yeah. them off? I'm not sure I can, I can get the proper route through for Europe. So obviously, we, so we started. We started uh, with all the other teams at Goodwood Racetrack in the UK, which was, which was pretty epic. So we, um, we got to basically ride the yak round Goodwood Racetrack with the commentator or like live on the mic with us on the yak. So that was, that was a good start. <laughs> and then we then we then we jumped across to France and I believe we went through Belgium, Germany. We touched into Austria. So this was the first time I went to Austria and it was the only country where we got forcibly removed. We got forcibly removed because the Austrian police said that we had an unregistered roof box. Thank you very much Austrian police. So then we went from we went back out from Austria and then where did we go from there, Jack? So we went back to the Czech Republic. Um 
from there, we then, I think we then went to Hungary. Hungary, really, really, really nice. Budapest, we had a kind of night in Budapest. A lot of no fun. sleep, no sleep back on the road. <laughs> um, Romania, Bulgaria, and then that, mm -hmm. that's, that's Europe. And then we crossed into Turkey. And well, at this point, we, we actually uh, split up. So of all these countries you have to go through, you've got to get visas uh, in advance. And, you know, it's a bit of a minefield. You send your passport to all these different embassies and you, you basically need every single country to issue you a visa. If one doesn't give it yeah, to you, you know, how are you going to get, get across half the time? Now, I didn't get my visa issued for Iran. The other guys on the team did. Um, so, you know, we were thinking, could we go around it? Really couldn't. And I kind of waited out in Turkey for a week. And you guys uh, went through, was it Iraq, then Iran? Yeah, so we, um, we decided to go down to the, the southeast of Turkey. Uh, we actually drove through a, a town called Batman. Um, and and we went across the border into Iraq. So this is this is this is post uh, Iraq War. It's there. It's there are still um, like serious dangers and, and terrorists further south. But we we took the northern Kurdish area. So we did have to be very very careful on this section, well, as as we did for the whole trip. But we did northern um, Iraq through into Iran. Um, we then we crossed the whole of Iran and then went north up into Turkmenistan, which is where. Jack was able to to meet us again in a place called where were we, Jack? Ah, oh, it's in Ashgabat, which is possibly the most mad, crazy, out of this world city you've ever seen. Um, so Ashgabat yes. is yes, it's if you can imagine a country with the kind of political leadership of North, of North Korea, this kind of cult of personality, but with you know massive amounts of oil and gas wealth. So you've got mm -hmm. this entire city where you've got these pristine marble buildings, you've got gold statues, but it's pretty much deserted. And the people that you do see are kind of just sweeping the, oh, wow. the streets. I, you know, it's like this ghost town, it's like, like a film set. And so I, I actually flew in there a day before the other guys arrived. And I've, I, I, you know, I, I kind of can't put into words how weird it was just stepping off the plane and going into the city. You know, I'd, there was no phone reception, no internet, I didn't know where to go. Um, ended up a taxi driver had a mate who had like you know a spare room in the back and just let me sort of stay there for like you know not very much money because <laughs> otherwise you can only really stay in the kind of five-star hotels um <laughs> had no idea how to even meet the guy basically just bumped into a couple of other people in the rally and wow. sorry what what country is this again this is turkmenistan so it's the same country okay. where the gates of hell which you know we went north we, yes. we came through Okay. Yeah, so it's it is it's Central Asia. It is mostly a a desert. Mm. Um, it is one of the few, if not the only, doubly landlocked nation, and it is it's out there. It is really out there. Like we've 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 done some bits. Like we've we've been across Russia on trains. We've done South America and so on. But this this is this is removed. This is wow. a very removed nation. Mm. Mm. So I I quickly want to pause here as well for a second and mm. talk about this this and. Iran and Iraq for a bit because I imagine the first bit going across Europe is pretty standard 
it's just like a long drive. It's probably quite easy. Then you're heading into like Eastern Europe. And then you have all these visas, or in Jack's case, you couldn't get across Iran. So one, what is it like crossing some of these borders? Because I've been to a couple of countries that are pretty tough to get into or out of. Um, and especially around 2011, Iraq, Iran. What is it like driving into these countries and also driving into driving in with a massive yak on the top of your car that is like half destroyed um <laughs> what what was like these border crossings like i think i th- i think it's, it's a good it's a very good question man and we and to be honest we we didn't really know and and so given given some of the trips we've done in the past we we knew that we you got to mitigate risk you got to you got to present yourselves uh, as best as you can and border crossings are normally uh tricky tricky places so i think Firstly, we we presented ourselves as being on a charity rally. Mm. In addition to that, we had quite a a comical, hopefully quite good looking, like yak on top of our car. So we were a novelty. So there was no there was no hiding in plain sight for us. Sure. So we it was it was about um, just just being as friendly as possible. And so we we had visas. So we were we were prepared to go into each of these nations, um, and we knew uh, the potent the, the the current kind of situation, broadly speaking, the current situation. What we did find, uh, and, and we, we had mostly very positive interactions with pretty much everyone we met across that 10,000 miles. We had some issues, as you, as you imagine, we had some bad issues. But um, overall, what we found is that pretty much everywhere that we went, everyone that we talked to had an appreciation for us traveling, for us exploring, for us looking and, and inquiring about their, their culture. We also found that, say, for example, you were in... Uh, Turkmenistan or a good example is when we were in Uzbekistan we crashed our car and we were we were basically stranded in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and uh, some local guys came to help fix our car um, one of the guys um, so we also, we also allowed we took permanent pens and so every person we met we allowed them to write a message or a picture on our on the outside of our car as a kind of thank you for for being part of maybe the documentary or part of our trip so what we found is that everyone was was super friendly when we met them but they always warned us about their next door neighbor right so they're always like oh be be super careful because when you cross the border those are our enemies those are the people that are going to get you so it, that plays it's really interesting i'm interested in this because it plays into this paradox of human nature it's this kind of idea that you're looking after your nucleus yet there's people uh, close to you that are going to try and get your resources so it was, it was a fine balance and specifically talking about borders we we did face some extortion. Uh, I think everyone that crosses borders, you're you're in no man's land. You can't really do anything to get your out get yourself out of a situation. So, we we lost we lost some money, but most of the borders were legit. They just took a hell of a long time. Like we slept, I think, between uh, Kazakhstan and maybe Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. We slept in no man's land on the floor, um, and I think we heard gunshots. So like we we were in we were in some like tasty places of the world, mm, man. But yeah. we. Yeah, we got we got through and everything was good. And it's, yeah, that's an interesting point about borders. Well, yeah, because something I really loved about the doc is when you're when you're into Central Asia and some of these countries that I've maybe just heard a little about or not at all. Um, it was really nice to see these local people coming in and just like um, just how relatable these people seem or how like friendly and hospitable um people in these places are and i really love at the moment i'm going for a big phase of watching people on youtube that are traveling to sort of more of like central asia countries that aren't talked about as much and how how do you feel about uh sorry to interrupt andy how do you feel about bald and bankrupt do you know that guy no i don't 
Ooh, do do check him okay. out. He's he's kind of he's he's popped up and he's become really big and he's um he's an English English dude. He's probably mid forties. Yeah, and he speaks. I think he speaks fluent Hindi and fluent Russian, and it's all very long shots of him just interacting in places like Belarus that few people go, and it's just long form and it's characters and it's just interesting people. Yeah, it's just interaction. So so if you're into that man, he's he's an oh, interesting. Oh wow, man. okay. But yeah, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm fully down. This is what I watch as well. Great. That's amazing. So I imagine like you set up top, you had some inspirations and how you kind of wanted to shoot this. But I imagine it's kind of like a lot of the shoots that I go on. The story comes to you as you're traveling and having these experiences. Yeah. Um, so how, how, how was it? Tra- because traveling alone and especially crossing some of these borders and just driving, taking it in turns, I imagine doing shifts is like a huge job in itself. And then you're having to document all of this. So how did you guys find balancing that? Was there designated people driving, designated people filming? And that's such an interesting question. I mean, and that's something- It I, is. <laughs> I, you know, I really want to talk about it. I actually really wanted to ask you, like, you know, when you're, when you're on it, kind of how much of your mind is in the trip and how much of your mind is- in the video because you know for us in this uh in this trip i think you know it is a kind of trip of a lifetime and we didn't want the filming to um you know ruin that in some way which in in a way it can because you're constantly thinking about how like how does this trip appear to other people how are we documenting it rather than actually experiencing it so um it was great that like even between us two, um, another of our teammates, Oscar, he was really into filmmaking as well um, before us, in fact. And, you know, Ed as well, who, um, you know, was kind of more interested in the mechanics side. He'd still pick up a camera and uh, just yeah, be involved talking to camera. We were all involved in the kind of making of the film. But, yeah, as much as anything, you know, we just wanted to experience the trip and just try and make, like, having a camera on, talking to the camera just feel as natural as possible. And that was the kind of best way for us to not have it feel too intrusive. I mean, is that something yeah. that you've kind of, you know, when, when you're making a video, they, they are slightly different to us, you know, they're much more kind of informative and, and kind of produced, especially than this one. But do you ever find that it's kind of difficult to get that balance of like, you know, you want to experience the place you visit, but you also want to kind of document it. Yeah, for sure. I script a lot of my stuff. When I know where I'm going, I try to work out a story that I want to tell there. And I try to put that script together as best as I can. So then when I'm there, I I have a list of, okay, I need I know I need to shoot these lines here or I need to get shots of X, Y, and Z. Um, but then I always try to leave enough room to breathe to just try and experience it and just document those parts um, yeah. so I can like, so it ebbs and flows, especially the conclusion of that story or that trip that I'm on. I'm not going to write that beforehand because I don't know what I'm going to experience over that week on that topic that I'm talking about. But actually, a great example is I was in Singapore in um, September last year. Mm-hmm. And for that video, I spent the first five days just asking questions, talking to people, trying to understand the city. I was shooting a lot of B-roll and then I wrote the script on like the sixth day or something like that. And then I went out and then shot all the lines for that on the last day. Um, and mm. I found that really helped for me to uh, to enjoy that as well. So I try to I try to find a balance, but yeah, it can be hard, especially on a, if you're on a shoot that's like a couple of days long. 
um, you don't really have much time to like take it all in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's um, it's so, it's so important, really. You know, you're, you do need to not just for your own for your own sake, kind of going to these countries and, you know, you, you want to make travel videos because you like to travel. And again, it kind of that authentic experience just comes across so much better if you if you know if you can kind of do that i mean again yeah. with with our trip i think the times when this kind of approach really paid off you know there were a few occasions on the trip where you know stuff went pretty badly wrong and you know it, and we had to obviously deal with it because this is if it, if it's like us in the moment um, and the first, first of all, you know, we've got to deal with this situation. You know, we are, one of our friends uh, lost his passport in Iran. Like another guy we met on a different mm. team had a re- really serious accident falling out of a tree in Kazakhstan. And, you know, we had to drive him to hospital. But, and obviously, you know, your first thing on your mind is like, let's sort this situation out. But there was enough of, it was so natural filming it by that point that, you know, we were still able to document it and... Yeah, I think looking back, that was something which, again, we didn't plan it, but it paid off pretty well. Yeah, I think what worked in our favour is that we were, the, the trip took us um, over over six weeks. And so we, we had the, the luxury that we had, we were we were filming a lot, but we, we had the luxury of, um, I, I guess, ahead of time, thinking about maybe key, key beats of how we wanted to put a, together the story of the road trip. And then we'd jump in, jump in forward a bit. But then when it came to... Um, assembling the documentary and making it something that a wider audience, not just your mum's going to want to watch. Uh, we we, we realised that um, to to add a narration, to, to give it a bit more uh, depth, and as you say, Andy, to, to then allow us to give a, a solid introduction, setting things up, giving some jeopardy and so on, uh, light and shade, and then a conclusion just, I, I hope, um, um, gives it a little bit more than just a, a, a gonzo, albeit we, we got into a nice flow. Like everyone was filming, everyone was on camera. We knew that we wanted to talk to interesting people along the way, film interesting landscapes and so on. But um, yeah, thinking ahead of the time did help us. But we, as, as, as Jack and I said, this was our first endeavour. An hour-long documentary was a big chunk to bite off. And so it was, um, a, lot of, a lot of it was, was um, yeah, learning by, learning by mistake, I think. There was a moment, I think it was when Oscar loses his passport, um, when you guys were recording that, that looked that looked pretty tough to do. Like as a story arc, it, it's good. But I imagine at the time, like for him, that's quite it. And you can see it in his face, how crushing it is. That he has to kind of like then leave you guys on the trip. Oh man, that was that was one of the first big blows to us, I would say, mm. per, like personally on, on the rally. And so the, the, we were we were in the middle of nowhere in Iran. We'd crossed, um, so there's a lot, we, we, we crossed hundreds of military checkpoints, right? There's, there's dudes with guns everywhere, checking passports, doing bomb checks on your car, all these kinds of things. And so we'd, we'd stopped middle of the night, some, some army dude, some, some guy checking passports. And we presume that maybe our friend dropped it or it got misplaced or so on. So you imagine this is like 4am, he realises we are in the middle absolute nowhere so me and me and this one guy put up a tent in the desert just camped out me and oscar drove back for something two three hours couldn't find it so you imagine so yeah this is this is going back to how are we feeling at that moment on a pretty like serious rally it was it was heartbreaking and you can see you can see in the way that i was filming the way that oscar uh talks about it it's um it's written on his face right like 
emotions are given like 90% in body language more than like verbal. And But what's interesting is that it was the first time, I think, um, on the on the rally where I actually asked... This is, this is interesting because this is the difference between like single shot documentation and how documentation is a representation of the people that document. Because I actually got him to do that piece of, to camera three times in the car. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and so that's, there's, there's added layers. And you know this, Andy. There's, you, you want to be representative. But I, I needed at that point, I knew that that was so important to our journey that I needed him to look and sound and feel like he actually was. And I think Oscar, I wasn't there, but I I imagine Oscar kind of realised that however hard it is for him, you know, he probably knows like, you know, we've got to to get this on camera. Like, this is important. You know, we're still making this documentary. Like, I'm still part of this. Even if I can't be there on the road for the rest of the trip, you know, I'm still part of it. And this is, yeah. And and we were were so used to kind of being on camera. Like, you know, try, try us now and like, put a camera in our face and something this devastating has happened and you know <laughs> yeah exactly there's uh, it's, it's it's one of those funny things about um talking to camera i i hate staring and i think of it as like a black infinity hole i can't stand it but um <laughs> when we're on the rally it just it, it, as with anything you get into a rhythm you get into a flow and it's um and yeah we we always knew that we wanted to make something that was suitable for a, a, a bigger audience than just our friends and having that in mind as part of the trip not as an in integral part but like we always had that. So when something that was, uh, maybe it was conflict, maybe it was an issue, maybe it was something bad, we knew that we wanted to document because then then we could self-analyze and then form a story from it. Mm. Yeah, and then you guys, so I guess then you guys, like, you carried on and eventually you get to Mongolia and, yeah, I, just seeing how big and vast it is and empty, and I think you said up top, Jack, like, how these roads are so brutal and... Um, like the potholes that you could hit are just going to like destroy your car at any point. Um, so I guess you guys get to the end of the trip, um, but that's not where the story ends or like the video ends, right? You, you've got like, you're, like you said, Ollie, as well, you've got to edit a full length doc. What was that experience like? And then maybe as well, you can get into all the stuff you added in post, like the voiceover and the stop motion and the maps. I mean, I suppose we started off, uh, you know, looking through all the footage and that took us three whole days. Um, we, we'd actually left Bristol, but Oscar was still at uni there. And so he went up to his house in Bristol and pretty much spent three days just watching footage and just seeing what we had. Um, I suppose one way of thinking about this as a project is it took us six weeks to drive to Mongolia. It took us almost three years to edit the film. <laughs> it wow. was and this, and this this is this is this is like this is just me going to jack's flat after work in london yeah for probably two years working into the wee hours playing around with stuff <laughs> evolving it i think it's it was a it was just a constant evolution i think that's that's the way i think about mm. it but yeah we me and the boys spent a lot of time yeah together, hell of a lot of time I, yeah and I mean, the hard thing with something like this as well, when you're so attached to the story and like and the footage and, you know, so much so much stuff, which is an a, a clip, which is an absolute gem to you. You know, that's mm. not going to be uh, interesting to other people, but you really hate to kind of cut it out. So <laughs> you've got to be brutal, but it's, it's not easy. Um, and uh, the longer we kind of left it since the trip, the more we were able to see that objectively and be see it from a kind of 
you know, a, a pair of eyes who maybe didn't know us so well, didn't know the trip, and that were they through that we were able to kind of see where the story arcs were. Uh, yeah, see what you know, see what was going to kind of interest people and how we can kind of develop that story. So it took it took a bit of a bit of time for us just to kind of you know see see the wood from the trees in a way. Yeah. That's that's really good foresight to have, and especially now in an era where it's like people are making these YouTube videos like so quickly, right? Like they don't have years; they have more like days. Um, and trying to take yourself out of like you personally being there, and like you said, like oh, maybe this clip I absolutely loved and I'm sold on it, but like, is it actually moving the story forward? Is it important here? Jack will contest that. Um, uh, I I think we have uh have a desire to film some some wacky stuff <laughs> that could that could be characters that could also just be the filming style so maybe a little bit too eccentric so yeah so the filter process that objective analysis a little later down the line kind of stripped out all of those real wacky bits mm. <laughs> not, not all of them we kept a few in but uh, uh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we kept it we hopefully hopefully you get a sense of our character from it oh definitely um and let's talk about the stop motion stuff like you guys have to go watch this because it's just that must have taken a while. Oh man, it's so this this is one of the things I'm most proud of and I think I'll always be most proud of it because we we knew that we wanted to have uh some visual representation of of the transition from country to country because mm. landscapes change and so on. Uh and we had plenty of 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 camera shot footage but we wanted we 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 were all we've always been into uh claymation and stop motion like I'm I'm sure most of your listeners I hope if not go check it out are, are aware of all the Ardman work Bristol oh, yeah. based Bristol as well based, I was going to say yep yeah 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 and and there's this there's, there's so there's so many good examples um in, in feature films and independent stuff online that we we and I say we love we love the manipulation of time and so we we really wanted to do a a stop motion as part of the full documentary so my my mum I was actually this was just after the trip my mum was going on holiday so we we commandeered uh my mum's front room for a week it took us a week we spent a week doing this it's mad um and we so we broke down the 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 landscape transitions and we effectively built the landscape yeah. out of sand and earth and made little models and and our friend Oscar who is a very talented um artist in different fashions he he actually made a clay representation of the yak that was on top of our car on the model of our car. So you imagine for seven days, we were all there with some DSLRs, a couple of time-lapse clickers, and a, I think a chopstick pushing our car millimeters ah. at a time with changing landscapes and, and so on. So like, I love that. That For me, that, that represents indie filmmaking whatever level of me jack oscar and ed like that's that that is us so i'm i'm super happy with it man i'm super happy with it and jack would you oh think? absolutely i mean the whole process of it you know we got into to filmmaking because you're doing something creative with your friends and like it doesn't matter how long it takes us it it's it's mm. great fun to do like the result was was great i still got that uh the clay yak on the car in like my parent my parents mantelpiece still it's, it's still standing you know Eight yeah, man, and Andy, Andy, we 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 love this stuff, man. We've we've all got we've all got the logo. We've all got the logo tattooed in different places. Like we, oh, wow. uh, 
We keep it going, man. We keep it going. No, that's awesome. And like, I, I think like when people see it, it just, it, it fits so nicely in with the video and it's beautiful. Good. But yeah, like definitely as being someone who is also making films, you, I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, these shots are maybe like two seconds long and there's like maybe like, I don't know, 10 or 20 of them. But this must have taken so long. Um, and like, <laughs> you, you've got like, what there's a bit, I think, maybe is it when you leave London, you cross like Tower Bridge or something and the, and like all, and the water's flowing. Oh, and I'm yes. just like, yes, yes, that yes. was the bit that got me at first. I'm like, there's multiple things moving in this shot. Anyone yeah, who's seen man. any of the Aardman films or Wallace and Gromit, like those where they, they used to take so long to do. Um, so, so much respect to that. And like, I think that that goes to like, everything about like DIY filmmaking, like if you don't have a shot or you think you can do it, and there's so many other ways that you can do it or you can tell that story. Definitely. I, th I think I just want to make the point that it's um like, yeah, just be, be creative, play around. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what, well, yeah, you can make anything. It could be a little stop motion. It could just be, I don't know, filming some bokeh, just like do, do something and, and play around and involve. And if, if you've got mates that are into it, then then link with them and it's all about collaboration and the good thing is like me and jack have we've blossomed we've 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 done this professionally now for quite a quite a chunk of time but i will always revert back to doing things just for the love when it comes to moving image and i think that all comes from this documentary so like i think one of the one of the the aspects of of putting the documentary together after the trip that i most enjoyed was working out the because of course music has a, an audio of a documentary has a massive effect if and you know this andy if you if you get the the audio on a mic slightly wrong that takes the viewer out of the experience so it's so it was vital to get that right and and music man like we we all love music and we 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 linked up with a bristolian based reggae dude called flex absolute legend he we, we sent him the rough cut and he um he really enjoyed it. So he was like, yo, I'll voice, I'll voice the documentary. Ah, he's right, the voiceover. Right, yeah, write me the narration and I'll, and I'll voice it for you. So we, we, me and Jack jumped on the train, went down to Bristol. We bashed it out in a day. The man was superb. He also put us up in his house. So Flex, who is a, a reggae singer, uh, Laid Black is the name of his band. Most of the music in the documentary is originals from him and his crew. We also um, very kindly were given music by Moby. Moby has a great online service where if you're if you're not making money, we didn't want to make money for this documentary. It was a passion project. Um, we we could use his music. So there's some of the sequences in Mongolia has some great Moby stuff over it. But most importantly, it's the it's it's the narration is the personification of the yak on top of our car. So hopefully that's um that's that's just that gives you like that's another little bit of our mad character that we just wanted to throw in there and I think it works and I'm just I'm so glad that Flex bought into the idea. So it's it's so important as you say Andy to to start passion projects, link up with collaborators, realize your strengths and weaknesses, build on what you've already got and evolve and just link up with interesting people, man. Mm, yeah. So you, you spend all this time on the dock. It then comes out. I'd love to know like what that was like and then how you guys transitioned into the rest of your career. You mentioned working for BBC and stuff that you were doing there. Like what was it like the couple of years after that and how did this project that you just decided to do yourself how was that as a stepping stone for the rest of like what you guys are doing now and in the last few years? So I suppose the, um, yeah, it's still about a three year kind of gap between, um, you know, getting back from the, the, the trip. We, we both kind of started working in uh, TV production, uh, digital video. Um, 
I suppose once the the film was released, um, it's an odd one because it's so it, you know it's so DIY. It's not slick, and you just you wonder how like big professional companies are going to take it. But you know more than anything else that I've probably done in my career, showing this video, the fact that you had the initiative to kind of go out and make something, the fact that you fought around these problems with you know limited resources actually gives people quite a lot of trust in what you can do so um you know we were both working at the BBC in their um kind of quite young at the time uh online YouTube team and you know they they the people at the team they, they sort of saw that we'd done this and yeah they trusted us to kind of go out and probably do quite a quite a lot more ambitious shoots than you know we were coming doing at that team so one of the first films we made together um, I should say Ollie, Ollie uh, started working at the BBC a few years before me and kind of brought me on as a kind of just to do a bit of overflow editing and I kind of never left so yeah we were, we were both working at the BBC at the time in the same team and yeah they, you know they, they'd kind of trust us you know we said hey we want to go film for instance uh, there was this um, abandoned uh, I mean, pre-World War II um, defence towers in the Thames Estuary and like let's get a boat out and film these abandoned towers and these people who are kind of restoring them um, and so we, we did that for a you know we made a film, film of that um, we convinced them to send us out to uh, Finland to film a, a reindeer herder just in, in the middle of the wilderness we all slept in his teepee in the in the kind of midnight sun, so it never got dark. <laughs> like the north of Finland, just sort of staying with this reindeer herder, and I think you know he, yeah, he just wanted to kind of like socialise someone that wasn't his family. So I think he was a bit very sick of them at the time. And <laughs> let's get let's get let's get some Brits out there. Get the get the uh, get the whiskey out of the <laughs> over the session. <laughs> uh, so, but I think you know it all stemmed from from this trip, from this video that you know we are essentially a safe pair of hands that can get stuff done and it's very easy going into the kind of big professional companies to um kind of forget how good the stuff that you make in your own time can be and how people really kind of value that um so that's one thing I kind of learned and yeah maybe kind of it took us a while to kind of realize that um looking back but yeah well, I think it's even more relevant than ever now um, with the rise in like YouTube creators and like this whole DIY ethic of making videos. I think especially these big companies now, they see the uh, value in that a lot more. You could have sent someone on the Mongol rally with like the best cameras and the best gear in the world. And it might have been like crap, you know, because you guys, you had the real passion to do it and like spending three years in this edit or like a week making this stop motion right um if you're on like a like for a bigger company maybe like you wouldn't have had that luxury of time or the passion behind it and um yeah it, it's always story over like quality i guess of like uh production and, and i think even now yeah that's like people see that yeah i agree man like i think i think that's an important point um high production um 
value doesn't have to mean high production quality. And so you can shoot something on your phone if, if whatever you're documenting um, is, 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 if that's the right medium. And so I think what's, what's kind of cool about uh, the, the start of our story in this documentary is that, as Jack said, we, I suppose, broad strokes, we, we found out about the rally. Then we we're like, right, Return of the Yak seems like we'll do that parody video. So then we had this character of the Yak. So we, we kind of then, we loosely had a brand. Return of the Yak then beca- became its, 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 uh, its identity. Um, then, we, then we made a couple of films before we went on the trip and we, we realized that YouTube was the best uh, platform to get people to see stuff. So we, we learned about um, the basics of, of the YouTube kind of playbook, I would say, how to upload metadata, programming and so on. So we, we, we knew this and we cut loosely um, when we were on the rally. So as well as spending two years or so making this feature, we also um, broke it down into kind of episodics because we, at, at that point I was, so we, we spent two years in the evenings making the doc, but Jack had, had gone into into production, working with cameras and so on. And I'd kind of taken a lateral route. I'd, um, I'd because of the, the experience of running a YouTube channel, I actually um, managed to get a job being a channel manager for one of the first uh, Google funded channels in the UK. So at that time, there was production companies making TV shows and, and YouTube that obviously is owned by Google wanted to give a little bigger budget to these production companies, pair them up with digital agencies and then run um, original content YouTube channels. So I, I actually, I was a channel manager for a car YouTube channel with, where our hosts were, uh, were Colin Furs, if you know Colin Furs, the legendary YouTube inventor, madman DIY dude. We had Rory Reed, who then went on to Top Gear. So we had, we had some good guys and we, we, ran, we ran that channel for, for a year. And we, do, you remember, do, you know, do you remember Vsauce, Andy? Remember uh, yes, Vsauce? I do. Um, there's a, yeah, there's, and there's like Vsauce 2 and stuff. I think they're different people. Yes. I don't know it too well. But yeah, I, I, I know. Because yeah. he was like one of the original like science communicators, like pop science back in the day from the US. And he, he moved over to work for Google. So he was actually like, um, he was our consultant. So oh, no way. what was interesting is that I had, I had like, like uh, polar, polar experiences. I had the creativity and the passion and the trying it yourself with Jack for the, for the yak, and then I also had this this other end, which was bigger budgets. And it was I, my 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 expertise was in the, the the programming kind of strategy side. So once the content had been made, how do we build audience? Uh, how do we get subscribers? How do we get repeat viewers? So so that was so that's interesting, man. Because then we had, we had Jack doing I guess story more camera stuff. Me doing more. I guess strategy is a wanky word, but that kind of side of things. And then we kind of came together. We came together at, at BBC Worldwide and it was a really, really interesting time. Um, I, I joined when the team was only like three or four and the team ran all of the big uh, Facebook pages, Instagram, YouTube for the biggest BBC brands. So we're talking the Attenborough series, uh, as animal documentaries. We're talking Sherlock. We're talking Doctor Who, uh, Top Gear. So we, we had like, we had mad content and mad brands. And it was our job as a team that then blossomed into a team of like 20 over the course of four or five years, where we started making original productions um, related to big shows that were going out internationally, as well as original formats for YouTube and social that played into the world of, say, animal documentaries or Top Gear and so on. So, so Jack, Jack and I got the opportunity to, to pitch ideas and then go and make original animal films for uh, the BBC Earth YouTube channel. So it's like it was, a, it's, it was an exciting time and a, and a lucky time. And, but we, we did, we, um, I guess we hustled for want of a better way of describing it. We, we proved our worth by showing stuff we'd done independently and stuff we'd done professionally and just backing ourselves and, and always... Always going, I, and you know this, man, I, from from me meeting you, just going that little bit further maybe than others 
sometimes do and just yeah just giving your all and i think that's that kind of paid off and we got to do some absolutely mad stuff absolutely mad stuff that's a that's a that's a great thing for people to take away from this i think that's like so great and as we wrap this up what is next for you guys what are you guys up to what you got jack what you got oh so uh, <laughs> i'm down in sydney at the moment um i moved over here about a year and a half ago and um i mean you know work-wise i kind of freelanced for for a bit um I worked for uh, quite a lot of kind of international productions while I was down here just with, with other contacts. So um, I filmed some uh, stuff with the UN on um, one of their kind of Aboriginal development projects last year, which was an amazing experience going out into the desert, which is probably the only time I've been somewhere as remote as Mongolia. Um, in the last kind of three months, I started working for a local independent production company. Um, and so we do a lot of kind of, uh, mostly kind of government funded, but kind of, yeah, like case studies of like regional Australia, which is just super interesting. I mean, you know, Australia is a massive country. There's so much to explore and uh, I'm loving, loving that. Um, be getting into my surfing, uh, living like nice. 10 minutes down the, down the road from the beach. So yeah, enjoying that in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that plays into me Andy so uh, we we actually met because I was I was working as a producer for, for Red Bull so that's mm. why I'm living up in the mountains in uh, in Austria uh, I'm now I'm now a freelance producer so I'm doing I'm doing some projects here then everywhere uh, really for the next year I'm kind of doubling down on on really working on projects that I believe in that I'm passionate about so it's it's more to do with travel and characters and the teams than it is a, a real I suppose professional step uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some passion projects on the side. I've got a dance project with some of the best dancers in Austria with that involves kind of incorporation of smoke rings. Nice. Uh, I, I'm interested. I did a biology degree, man. So I'm interested oh, okay. in sustainability and, and organic farming. So I'm starting up a mushroom business. So lots of little bits, lots of bit like ticking over, man, ticking over. It's an, it's an interesting time, right? So I think you guys are great examples of like doing something by yourself and then like turning this into a career into both like things that you guys are absolutely loving doing so thank you for taking the time and um well yeah i mean like if i next time i'm in uh, australia it'd be great to catch up jack anytime and, uh, yeah, likewise ollie wherever you are yeah don't worry i'll fly over to meet you both <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great all right thanks guys no worries thanks Cheers, Andy. Andy. pleasure thanks Guys, thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation with Jack and Ollie, like I said earlier, the link to the documentary is in the show notes below if you haven't checked it out and, you, and you, you're now excited to see how that actually panned out, how that went down over those six weeks traveling across Europe and Asia. And all their social links, everything you need to know is in the show notes as always. And if you're still here, I assumed you really enjoyed this episode, in which case, mean a lot if you subscribe to the show. We put out episodes weekly and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts really helps the show. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and I will catch you guys in the next one. Mm-hmm.